Good morning. It's a privilege to be here and see you all here. You can't see those of you at home on Zoom, but I'm grateful that you're here as well. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. And Psalm 84 ends with, Blessed is the man who trusts in you. When I spoke here last month, I spoke about life as a pilgrimage. I spoke about the value of spiritual direction to support us on that journey, on that pilgrimage. It's a journey, I think, to discover that all of us are God's dwelling place. God dwells in each of us. We are the face and image of God. But this is a challenge for many of us to see, to see the face of God in ourselves, let alone in others, and particularly in others who don't look or act or think or do as we do. It is easier for many of us to see the face of God in God's natural creation, the mountains, the forests, oceans, lakes, rivers, the beauty, the awesomeness of it. We can see what a precious miracle our earth is. How lovely is your dwelling place indeed when we look there. I believe today that we are all called on a spiritual pilgrimage on this earth. And just as some of us were called to walk the Camino de Santiago, I believe we are all being called to move to a deeper um, and more meaningful relationship with God and with God's dwelling place a deeper relationship with the earth, which, as we all know, is in precarious shape today. Wesley Granberg Michelson in his book, Without Oars, says that pilgrimage calls us more deeply into the world. It doesn't call us away from the world into some inner place, but it calls us more deeply to a relationship with the larger world, the physical world. The key is to pay attention, to walk slowly, gratefully, contemplatively. Today, I believe we are called truly to a deeper relationship with God in the physical world. We are called to pay attention, to go slowly, contemplatively, and gratefully. And I think this is a very loud call. The Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, that's a mouthful, the IPCC, just released their latest assessment of the environment based on hundreds of studies and with the agreement of thousands of scientists across the world, an assessment of where we stand in relationship to God's great and glorious creation. It's not just loud, this call. I think it's a scream. It's a bellow. And it represents the current and future pain of all who will be impacted by the danger ahead unless we act quickly and definitively. I rarely quote the Old Testament, even though I love the Psalms, because the emphasis, it seems to me, are a lot of prophets warning and damning and threatening people. And I don't really think that that's the way to be with God. But I think there are some great quote some great pieces of scripture from the Old Testament that are really applicable today. And one of them, Leviticus chapter 25 says, 
The land is mine and you are but aliens and tenants. You must provide for the redemption of the land, the redemption of the land. And in Jeremiah chapter two, Jeremiah says, you came and defiled my land and made my inheritance detestable. Lastly, in Zechariah chapter one, I am extremely angry with the nations that are at ease. For while I was only a little angry, they made the disaster worse. The nations at ease made the disaster worse. And I think this is reflected today in the fact that the top 10% of the Earth's well-off inhabitants, us, right, us, are responsible for more than half the world's carbon emissions. And this is from Bill McKibben, an American environmentalist. 10% of us, those of us who are at ease, are responsible for more than half of the world's carbon emissions. Yikes. Bill Gates wrote a book, I read it, How to Avoid a Climate Disaster, and he provides there a very thorough look at where we stand environmentally and where we're headed if we do nothing. Um, But this isn't just a book about how horrible it is. Um, He does talk about how the poor and marginalized will suffer devastating and disastrous effects. But his book is also full of recommendations for both personal things we can do individually and corporate action. You and I may be able to deal with greater heat, less water, more flooding, more fires, more expensive food, but there are millions of people who cannot. Global warming seems to be God jumping up and down and shouting for us to pay attention and to be in action in new ways. God invites us to metanoia, right? To to a larger mind, to a larger view of what is happening in the world and to turn to a more authentic conversation about our earth, Um, how to transform our relationship with the earth, to change and expand our minds and our hearts. Now, I get that this IPCC report is really frightening. Frighten me, perhaps overwhelming. We already have racial crises, and political crises, and we've got pulling out of Afghanistan and terrorist threats around the world. Um, we have the pandemic, and many of us have personal challenges to face. So, how are we supposed to have the bandwidth to deal with this? It is too much, we say. We just can't do it. So I'm also an ontologist, and an ontologist is somebody who looks at context, um, sort of the larger mind frame that people bring to the world. How do we see the world? What are the filters that we're looking through when we see the world? Is the world basically a good place uh, where some bad things happen, or is it a bad, scary place where maybe some good things happen? And I use the notion of a comfort zone to describe this psychological space that we all uh, pull into when we're frightened. We find comfort in the familiar. That's why it's called a comfort zone. It's consistent and, and we want to avoid leaving that comfort zone. Unfortunately for us and for the earth, 
All new possibilities are outside the comfort zone. Any new way of looking at the earth, at our lives, even at God, is outside our comfort zone. And, and so our comfort zone is a home to a very limited God, a limited experience of God, where rituals and practice and coming to church every Sunday, and that all makes us feel safe, and we're fine. God seems predictable, until, of course, God is not. So as I said, outside our comfort zone is the field of possibility, a place where God is beyond the convenient and familiar boxes we have created for God. And I believe that right now in this crisis, God is inviting us, a larger God is inviting us to a new experience of ourselves, of the divine, of the divine in ourselves. God is beckoning us outside our comfort zone, inviting us to take a leap of faith, to leap and trust that the net will appear. To be the one in Psalm 84, the blessed man who trusts in God. And to commit to a new and at least initially uncomfortable series of actions. The field of possibility is not in our comfort zone. And in order to meet God out there, we are likely to be uncomfortable. So what can we do in the face of what seems like impending Armageddon? Like David and Moses and Jesus and so many other secular people that we know about, stories whose stories fill our history books. Um, many of those who are not recorded, their stories were never recorded. We must find courage to move beyond what is familiar and comfortable. We must risk discomfort to be in action. And when we do that, as I said, we will find a much, much larger God and a much deeper relationship. With all that is holy, we must venture into the unknown. We must venture into the place where I think God dwells, the field of possibility. The good and great news is that we don't have to do this alone. Here at Valley Presbyterian Church, we have an earth care team, and they have been hard at work creating a website that you can access at the Valley Pres uh, website. If you go to the website, in from your perspective, the upper uh, left-hand corner, there are some hash marks, and you click on those, and one of them will take you to the earth care part of our website. Um, so you don't have to join an environmental organization and you don't have to figure out what to do on your own. You can simply go there and there are lists of books and links to TED Talks and movies um, and uh, other things that you can do. Lots and lots of resources. It's, it's really cool, really cool. And I wanna call out Anita Wotis and Alice Chang um, and Haddon Cornelius and Bob Barrett for doing a lot of this work. So while you and I alone cannot make a difference, um, as with racism, we need to be more than one person. We need to be a community to make a difference. And as a community, we can educate ourselves and others, and we can make choices that are healthy for us, for God's lovely dwelling place, 
and for people all around the world who are likely to suffer if we do not. Uh, similarly, the Matthew 25 team here at VPC is committed to finding effective effective actions to address racism, another overwhelmingly discouraging challenge we face, and an intersectional challenge. The people who are most affected by environmental disaster are poor, marginalized, and often minorities, right? So, um, I thought I was doing a lot to be environmentally sensitive. I had yeah, solar panels and a plug-in hybrid car, and I avoided a lot of plastic and all of that. But just as with racism, when I took a test, found out I was actually unconsciously racist. There were things I was unconsciously afraid of, not consciously afraid of. And so with the environment, um, I've discovered, as a result of the website and being part of the Earth Care team, there is a heck of a lot more for me to do. And it is not all that hard, right? Buying different kinds of soaps, buying things that are compostable, not biodegradable, but compostable and learning the difference between the two. Um, I've gone mostly vegetarian. I can't give up bacon, but mostly vegetarian. And um, I recycle like crazy. So it's not difficult. I'm not poor. I'm not marginalized. I can do it, um, and I ought to do it. How is this a Christian call? Because there are a lot of Christians in this country and maybe in the world who throw up their hands and say, well, it's just God's will, right? We're headed for the end times. Let's just sit around and wait for the rapture and keep doing what we're doing. We are too small. The problem is too large. It's in God's hands. But as we all know from reading the Bible, um, we are invited to act. It isn't enough just to say stuff. Um, we, we've been given the ability to choose. We've been given the power of choice. Um, in Jesus' command to love one another, to serve the poor and the marginalized, I do not hear him saying, do it if it only is convenient, not too disruptive or too expensive. I hear a command to pay attention to how people will be devastated by the coming change. Richard Rohr says that God loves creation. And if we want to be closer to God... We need to love what God loves. We need to love what God loves and really love it, like love it in action, not just say in our hearts and in our minds, oh, we love God. That's so easy. I can say that. <laughs> but it's something else for me to act as if I love God, right? Um, and act as if I am connected to all of God's creation, to the people in Sub-Saharan Sub Africa, equatorial countries, island nations that are doomed to be flooded, and the marginalized in our own communities. I am not separate from these people. We are not separate, even though it's easy to think we are. We are not separate from nature, and nature is telling us that. I went to sleep last night, and the last thing I said to Daryl was, I smell smoke. And I woke up this morning, 
And the first thing I said was, I smell smoke. <laughs> California is on fire and a whole lot of the world is right now. It's hard to ignore this. We are not separate. It is an illusion, a really convenient, comfortable, in the comfort zone illusion that we are separate from nature and from other beings on this planet. <clears throat> we can distract ourselves and forget about that. Lastly, as a spiritual director and ontological coach, um, I would be remiss if I didn't offer some practices for those of you who are committed to changing your experience of your life on this planet and of your connection to others and your connection to God. And one practice that I found most effective is to create a constant reminder in the blizzard of all of the stuff that's coming at us on social media, on television and movies, newspapers, just we're being bombarded with messages that distract us. So we need to create a reminder that we are committed to this deeper connection with God in all things. So that could look like a piece of art, a painting, piece of sculpture, something that you create yourself, and you place it in your space, in places where you will see it all the time, and it reminds you of this deeper commitment. You may have to move it around because stuff like that becomes like wallpaper and you stop seeing it. But reminders are what us human beings need. Um, Another practice is the wonderful practice of replacing any judgmental or fearful thoughts with loving thoughts. So if I wake up with uh, saying, I smell smoke, and I go immediately to being discouraged about that, and this is a mess, and we'll never get out of it, and it's just a downward spiral, and we're all doomed if I go to that place in my thoughts, um, the day's likely not to go so well, right? So... If I replace that initial tendency to saying I to, to a, a loving thought that I believe in a loving God, I have faith in a loving God, and I have faith in the loving God in everyone I see and in everything I see, that people will be in action, and I will be in action, and we will be committed to making a difference. Thomas Keating says that the chief thing that separates us from God is the thought that we are separated from God. The thing that separates us from God is a thought, just a thought that we create, that we are separated from God. We fail to believe that God is part of every reality. Our interior experience of God's presence activates our capacity to perceive the divine in everything else, in people, in events, and in nature. I say the reverse is also true, that when we are willing to risk leaving our comfort zone, willing to connect more intimately with those at greatest risk, with nature, with the marginalized, we are drawn inexorably into a deeper relationship with the divine. And then it is possible to see the divine in everything in ourselves, we have to start there, in others, in events, 
nature. And if you need um, some inspiration, there are some amazing books. One of them is Braiding Sweetgrass. I couldn't find it in my crammed bookcase, but if you look it up, you will find it. It's a lovely book by a naturalist who's an, an indigenous American, and she lives on the East Coast, and she has a very intimate relationship with nature and can sort of tell you how to survive uh, just you know, foraging and doing that sort of thing. So, and another book that I've just not finished, quite finished, but I recommended it to Ann Hillman, who thinks it's marvelous. So that's an endorsement. It's called Vesper Flights. It's by Helen McDonald. I'll have it up here if you want to take a picture of it. Um, this is also a naturalist, beautifully written stories about her observations of nature over her lifetime. Um, just exquisite stories. And if they don't... Um, land in your heart and expand your heart and get you inspired um, to do something new, uh, I don't know what will. So where was I? Um, so when we come to this place of realization, the deep realization of how connected we are to God and God in nature, and God and others. It is then, I think, that even though we are frightened and unsure, it is then that we can become the blessed one, referred to in Psalm 84, the courageous one, the one who trusts in God. It is then that we can see even more profoundly how lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. Amen. Oh,